Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Before we get started today, I really just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. Listenership is definitely on the rise, which is really gratifying. And I've even received a few messages recently from some of you with such kind words about our quality of our content, our great guests. And even some who admit to binge listening older episodes over the holidays. You know who you are, Allison Cruz. <laughs> Thanks for your LinkedIn post, which kind of went a little bit viral. Also, Chloe Rada reached out and so many others with encouraging words for my little Labor of Love podcast. Thank you. It really makes it all worth it. And I know you're going to enjoy today's guest as well, Stephanie Zwen of General Motors. Talk about global recruiting at scale. Stephanie's definitely going places. Actually, speaking of Allison and Chloe, one thing they have in common, which you may not know about, besides being truly big leaders in the employment branding space, is that they're both on the board of ATAP, the only global member-driven not-for-profit representing all of talent acquisition. I recommend you take a minute and just go to the atapglobal.org website, navigate to leadership, and see who else is on the board. People like Jim D'Amico of Selenies, Eric Dunlap of Cielo. B.J. McGuire of Walt Disney Company, Melissa Thompson of Nielsen, Kathy Hennessy of Adventist, who, by the way, just took over being the board chair for ATAP, so first woman board president that we've had so far, which is awesome, Mike Cohen, a.k.a. Batman of Wayne Technologies, and Jim Schneider of Recruiting Advisors, and all under the direction of Kristen LeBlanc, who is the executive director, She Herds the Cats. These people have serious day jobs and they make time for ATAP. So maybe you should too. Take a look and then join. I think you'll be glad you did. Now on to Stephanie Zwen of GM. Well, that kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. My guest today is Stephanie Zwen of General Motors. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Good morning. And just to get us started, in a nutshell, Stephanie, would you just tell my listeners who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So so again, uh, my name is Stephanie Zwain. I'm currently a talent acquisition manager uh, at General Motors, and that is a pretty exciting role to be in at, at this time in the world, actually. So uh, right now, in my current role, I lead a team of recruiters and, and coordinators globally, and we have responsibility for um, outside of the U.S., everything from hourly through executive hiring within those you know respective regions and countries, and, and within the U.S., we manage the recruiting for, as I call it, all of the cats and dogs that are not engineering and manufacturing. Which I have a couple of peers that manage that work. So it's just a little bit about my current role. Really interesting. Okay, I'm really excited for a discussion so that my listeners can hear from a leader who is managing TA at the scale of a behemoth like General Motors. And it sounds like you have a big slice of it. So we'll we'll get into all those details. 
So just a couple of numbers to quantify what we're talking about here in terms of, of GM. I would be surprised if anybody listening doesn't know what GM is and what they do. Obviously, they are one of the largest, if not the largest automaker in the world, um, 85,000 employees just in the U.S. and double that if you add the rest of the world. So about 164,000. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Okay. And uh, Mary Barra is your CEO, the first woman CEO of a major car maker, which is very exciting. And she's been in that role, what, four years, five years? Yeah, about that now. A little longer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So good for her. And I thought this stat was interesting. 9.97 billion taxable wages paid to employees just in the US. So every year there's a $10 billion payout. Yeah, in wages just just in the U.S. So if you add the rest of the world, I can imagine it's at least double that. So that's a that's that's huge. And uh, revenues of 137 billion as well, about three million vehicles that GM makes and delivers. To say that's at scale, I think, is a bit of an understatement. And you're number 18 in the Fortune 500 in 2020. So. You know, we, we talk a lot to a lot of different types of recruiting leaders on my podcast, some who are overseeing 50 hires a year if they're in a startup mode and have to create everything from scratch, all the way to, you know, big global companies who, who are doing things in very, very large numbers. I'm really excited to talk to you because I obviously believe you're at the, the, the upper end of that in terms of how you're operating so I would assume you don't get involved typically in the day-to-day candidate management. The you know you don't have candidates emailing you about your status, right? Ah, uh, well, so interesting question. Actually, um, not typically. No, I mean the bulk of that work is done by my team, certainly. But you know we are doing a bit of uh, executive recruiting, which is something we have expanded over the last eighteen months or so, specifically within my team. And so I do dabble in that. Ties into a little bit of my previous recruiting experience is kind of how it how it got got started. But um, so I do dabble, and so occasionally I I am involved in executive searches, and so it's still it's fun, right? It's it's great to still have that opportunity to talk to candidates. Oh, absolutely! To keep your hand in it, make sure you stay sharp, make make sure you know how the interface with the technology works. I mean, that's that's a thing. If you sort of get away from it and are only managing and not doing the work that you you lose touch of industry wise you know kind of thinking about the industry that you that you work in which has changed significantly even over the last 5 or 10 years with the emergence of Tesla and so many other electric vehicle makers i think the internal combustion engine seems to be falling out of favor a little bit especially if you live in california mm-hmm. and um you know electric vehicles are kind of taking their place or will eventually i mean it's it's down the road but you know how time goes so quickly. I, I think that'll be here before we know it. So I'm sure that's creating some shifts for you in terms of your talent acquisition strategy. Can, can you tell us a, just a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's interesting because I can remember when I first joined the company about five years ago and hearing Mary Barra Bar talk about the industry is going to change more in the next 10 than it has in the last 50, right? Like that's been ringing in my head. She said that so many times. And even in just the past five years, wow, yeah, it, it has completely shifted. Even just looking at all of our brands, the, the bet that we're making on electric vehicles, looking at what's coming with Cadillac. Uh, becoming eventually an all-electric vehicle line. It's interesting because I had the opportunity in one of my roles to work in engineering. And from my view, and I'm a little bit biased, right? 
there's no one better to take the technology toward electric than a company with with our history and the engineering talent that we do have. So it's an interesting shift. I mean, I think there was some some big news articles in the third and fourth quarter of last year, you know, hiring over 3000 in our more technical skill sets, right? Software mm-hmm. developers, software engineers, and even some of the more interesting technical skill sets that my team works on, uh, on the customer experience teams. So you can see the shift, even if just you look out on our career site, you would see uh, there is a lot of technical hiring that we're doing, which is a, a different type of work, right? Than traditional engineering recruiting. Your recruiters sort of very specifically have to get smart on the digital as well as the mechanical side Absolutely. of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And I know you come at your role with kind of a unique perspective, that of an attorney. In fact, you have a BA in psychology like I do from yeah. uh, U of Miami. Was that Miami of Ohio or Miami proper? Yep. Ohio. University of Miami, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. And then got your JD at Suffolk. So T- tell us about that decision and what you thought you would be doing way back when you got your JD and how that's different or similar to what you're doing today. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I do have kind of a bit of a unique career path, I guess, to where I'm at today. I-, I was always really passionate about going to law school, becoming an attorney. I can't remember a time when I was young where I- that wasn't what I wanted to do. So all the way through college, I was pretty set on uh, going to law school. I got a BA in psychology, quite frankly, because it interested me m- more than the traditional political science route. So, and I'm still very interested in, in psychology. So, uh, you know, I, I did the thing. I, I went to law school, um, I practiced, and I was never unhappy practicing law. It's just I kind of started to yearn for something different. You know, being, being a lawyer, other than my team was great, I worked with great lawyers, I had lots of great cases. But I slowly started to realize that the career path is really from an associate to a partner and a partner to forever. And that and that's kind of that's mm-hmm. kind of uh, it. Right. There, there's not a whole lot of lateral opportunity versus, you know, working for a bigger company where you have the opportunity laterally to do lots of different things. I had started to have a feeling a couple of years in that, you know, maybe I could do something different with this. And so you started as a litigation associate. So so we're not even talking about contract law where I, I hear a lot of young lawyers say, oh my gosh, I had no idea all being a lawyer is is contracts. But <laughs> but litigation is actually, you know, theoretically the exciting stuff. It's the thing that everybody sort of thinks they go to law school for. So you had that opportunity. You probably touched a few cases that were pretty interesting. And, and you, it, it, it sort of still felt like, you know what, this is not going to give me the opportunity to make the difference that I want to make. Is, is that is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted a, a farther reach. I, I wanted to do something different. And you know, the, the tough part about litigation, as exciting as it is, your clients aren't usually happy. They're involved in a conflict that's painful and costing them money. There's not as much joy, I guess I'll say, in terms of the, the day-to-day interaction. That's a really interesting point. I never thought about it that way. So it's all negative. And who, who wants to live in that all day long, right? It can be a lot of so, negative, yeah. Okay. Well, so then you transitioned to Robert Half. Okay, that's a super interesting career switch. So tell us about that. How did that come about? Yeah, so driven largely by my personal life, to be honest, starting to realize after, you know, six years or so um, on the East Coast, you know, from Michigan. My husband's from Ohio, where, you know, we're 
we started to think about moving back this way, starting a family. And so I, I actually had talked to a couple of colleagues who had gone from uh, lawyers to recruiters working for Robert Half Legal. Um, and I had a, someone I was talking to in Boston and, and he said, you know, we, we have an opening, you know, Robert Half Legal broadly does in Detroit. I mean, the stars just really kind of aligned, you know, at that time, you know, we were starting a family, found out we were having twins and we just, we took probably the biggest risk we've ever taken, left our jobs and, and, you know, I took the job at Robert Half in Detroit and we still to this day talk about that decision and, you know, how much of a difference it's made in the long term for us both, just personally and professionally, but um, a risk worth taking, certainly. Very cool. So you had a connection initially, obviously, with your skill set and your education, you could connect with candidates and talk to them about what they want to do next and, and that sort of thing. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And did, were you doing mid-level, executive level? How, how did they teach you how to recruit? At, yeah. At yeah. And so it was really interesting The you know, my partner at Robert Half Legal, he had been doing it for 10 years at that, like when I first joined, so experienced. Um, also, uh, most of the recruiters at Robert Half Legal were, I mean, most of us were, were lawyers, right? People who had been in the field gave us the opportunity to you know, as you said, be able to talk to candidates and, and managers. And so we did a little bit of everything. I was on the direct hire side. So we placed everything from the legal secretary paralegal roles to, yeah, I did a couple of executive uh, placements in-house uh, for some big companies as well. So it was a little bit of everything, which which was fun to get exposure to um, different levels of the organization. And also was probably the first role I had where I really started partnering with HR people, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's where I first started to get ex exposed to that uh, that side of the business. Interesting. And what were your initial impressions when that was uh, the your your first exposures? Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed working with HR people, understanding you know kind of their their hiring strategies. So it's really interesting. You know, sometimes we were just backfilling someone that left, right? But other times we were doing more strategic work where we were you know, they were looking for a successor for someone who's, you know, maybe retiring 12 months from now, really trying to do a strategic transition plan. Or other times they're staffing up for a big, a big case the firm has taken on, right? And so it's resource planning and how many lawyers and paralegals and secretaries do we need? The connection with HR, you started to get exposure, understanding what those people do. And surprise, surprise, your next role was as an HR generalist. And then people development lead at FCA, which uh, I'm not sure what FCA is. Is it like a holding company for the assembly plants or what? what is that? Yeah, FCA is Chrysler now. So mm -hmm. yeah, FCA okay. bought, Got it. bought Chrysler. Oh, Fiat so. Chrysler. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so really your first automotive experience was with a competitor to where you are right now. So what was that experience like? Yeah, it was really interesting. So on the personal side, my whole family or many of my family members and people that I look to, my both my parents, you know, my aunt that I'm that I'm close with, grandfather, um, all have worked for General Motors. So I grew up in automotive. I grew up in General Motors, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, growing up, my mom always said, "Do something different," right? Hence the law school. I went. I did something different. But man, uh, there was a lot of HR opportunities within automotive in Detroit, and uh, GM wasn't hiring at the time. FCA was. And, you know, I, I took a chance and someone quite frankly, took a chance on me, HR field roles and generalist roles. A lot of times they look for people with 
probably more experience than I had, but someone uh, thought that, hey, maybe maybe she's got the right skills, right? She she can learn to do this thing. And and working as an HR generalist in a plant, it is chaos, right? I mean, <laughs> it is a crazy day-to-day experience, but it's a lot about relationship building uh, and communication and, and listening. So it's not necessarily the skills that you'll learn from a degree, right? It's the life experience and professional experience. Yeah. How, how was their training at Chrysler? Did they actually have a functional training to help you understand what best practices are in the HR generalist world? Yeah, a, a bit of it. Um, a lot of it was on the fly, to be honest. I, I did, you know, some of the employment roles. And I mean, I had, I just was really lucky at Warren Truck, where I first started, just tremendous peers and colleagues that, you know, you kind of learn by doing and learn by working alongside others. So, you know, I, I got exposed in my roles there in terms of the generalist side to when I was at Chrysler to the hourly side, right? Through the, being an employment supervisor, we brought on a shift, which is a tremendous experience to learn about, you know, hiring 1200 hourly employees and dealing with probationary attendance and terminating employees and paying them and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff there. Um, the salaried side, and then the people development is FCA's uh, world-class manufacturing model. The people development is the HR arm of that. And so I had the opportunity to be uh, a lead. I was a specialist first at Warren Truck and, and then a, a lead at Sterling Heights. And it's very, very interesting. A lot of partnership with the UAW, a lot of work actually just out on the assembly floor with employees, um, dealing with suggestions and employee engagement. And so just tremendous experience. i so grateful for it. I worked at all three of the big assembly plants um, in Detroit for FCA and really cool experience to get exposed to life in a plant. Just one final question about your Chrysler experience. What was it like showing up at family gatherings with the rest of the family <laughs> GM employees? Good point. I was a black sheep for a hot minute. Oh. Yeah, I was. So they, they I mean, shunned you temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of common things to talk about certainly. So, but it was, it was interesting just to hear the different, a lot the same and a lot different, you know, very different companies facing a lot of the same problems in plants. So a lot of common, a lot of common talk, talking topics for sure. No doubt. Well, whoever took a, as you say, took a chance on you as an HR generalist in those early days, I'm sure saw, let's see, litigation experience, recruitment experience. That's a pretty good foundation and we can teach her the rest. So it sounds like that was just a tremendous learning experience. So what made the um, the switch from Chrysler then to GM, other than probably family members encouraging you to you know come back home? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so it was interesting. GM started hiring some some HR folks for the first time in a while, and so someone I knew through a friend of a friend had called me and said, "Hey, they're 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 hiring a GM HR again, and they have some manufacturing HR roles that you might be a fit for, you know, should throw your name, throw your name in the ring. So I did. Uh, they had a manufacturing rotational program that they were hiring for at GM. And so I went through the interview process. And again, right, I mean, some some of these things you think, man, that was just luck. Sean Davis, I'll, I'll never, you know, forget him. I still, still talk to him to this day. When I interviewed with him, you know, after the interview, he called me and he said, you know, we could hire you in a heartbeat. And you would do great in these rotation roles. The only problem is you've already done them all. <laughs> yeah, kind of I was going to say, it sounds like a lateral. So yeah, and it might, it might not be the most exciting thing for you. But hey, a colleague of mine, Dave Whitman is hiring over in this town acquisition team. 
they're insourcing talent acquisition at GM. They're moving from, you know, an outsourced model to insource. And he's got a role that I think you might be kind of a really good fit for, uh, a governance role. So why don't you talk to him? And so so I did. I, I talked to him. Uh, and yes, he had a governance and standards lead role. Super interesting role. We, we you know, still have this role today. It's, it's a very critical part of our structure. But at the time when I came in, we were first insourcing. And so the role was really about establishing a structure and a framework for our compliance in in kind of short, right? We are, uh, as we talked about, a huge company. We are a federal contractor. So there's, there's quite a bit of legal, regulatory. There's a lot out there at GM in terms of our hiring. So yeah. And so governance and standards in terms of should, should I picture this as being the metrics accountabilities, SLAs, sort of internal governance or um, compliance from a... Uh, All of it, really. So um, in that role, I got to do everything from establish the framework for our monthly audits, right? Um, You know, we do, as you mentioned, quite a bit of, you know, looking at our own team in terms of, uh, I mean, everything from are we doing, are we uploading our interview guides? And you have to have a process to say what you do and do what you say. And, And so it's a little bit about that internally but also quite a bit of partnership with, with our legal team. So I, you know, that role is key. Anytime we launch a new assessment or a new tool, right. We have to do that in partnership uh, with our legal team. And so that role, I did quite a bit of working with legal and then kind of, you know, day to day dealing with escalations of background checks, right. Um, As many, as many hires as we're doing, we have issues from time to time, right. Having to rescind an offer or deal with a one-off candidate issue or, you know, deal with producing documents from a hiring related to a lawsuit. So a little bit of everything. Let's now kind of camp a little bit out on your current role. We talked earlier about what that includes, but just quantify for us the accountability for hires by function, by level, by geography to, you know, give us the big picture in terms of if we get to the end of 2021 and you have hired X number of people or overseen the hiring of X number of people, what does that look like? Yeah. So um, I mean, certainly looking back at 2020, um, which mm-hmm. was a very unique year for us. I mean, 2021 is shaping up to be just as just as busy, you know, for our for yeah. our team uh, within the U.S. We we did around a thousand hires last year, just my U.S. team, and I don't foresee this year being any different, to be honest. And and that was really extraordinary, given we took a bit of a hiatus during the beginning part of the COVID pandemic. So we really ramped up toward the end of the year. Outside of the US, you know, my Mexico team did about 2000 hires last year, pretty similar in South America. Um, And they do, again, that's inclusive of their hourly hiring as well. Everything from hourly student hiring um, to experienced hiring as well. So I think this year is going to be just as much, if not more. The one interesting part of our seat is we don't always know what's around the corner, you know. We have a we have a good idea of what we're going into, but you know, General Motors is not unlike any large company that workforce planning and long-term workforce planning is an opportunity for us. It continues to be for any big company trying to trying to plan long-term. I'm not surprised to hear that. I I, I think you know I have a, a background in both TA leadership and RPO. And when I was leading an RPO, we used to go to prospective clients and start to work on the solution. And we would always say, "What's your workforce plan look like?" And even the most sophisticated companies have a little bit of a deer in the headlights. It's like mm, the workforce planning is more of a concept for us, not so much a practice. It's hard. It's really hard to get it right, I think, because business never stays the same, right? So you yep. can 
have a plan, but it gets thrown out. So if I add up all, all of what you just talked about, we're talking 5,000-ish uh, hires in, in total that are under your remit. Are, are there more than that in, yeah. in addition? Yeah. Okay. So super, that, I mean, that is large scale by any measure. Talk a little bit about your team, the people who report to you. What, how are your direct reports configured? And I'm curious to know if you have more of a generalist model or a specialist model. Yeah. Recruiters. yeah. How does that look? Great question. So I have seven, uh, seven people that report directly to me. Five of them are leaders themselves. So um, I have two senior recruiters that I manage directly. When I look at my people leaders, so I have obviously a lead for South America, I have a lead for Mexico, and then I have three leads within the U.S. One of them oversees finance, SSM, and what we largely call kind of innovation, uh, and the other oversees our IT and our customer care and after sales hiring. Mm-hmm. And so my leads are, and I say this every day, I tell them almost every day, they're so critical to my success. They, Mm -hmm. and and just our broader success as a team, they truly manage and coach the recruiters day in and day out. And my leads in Mexico and South America, certainly super key, right? They, they are in country leading the team, facing off to the HR teams locally. Those leads are a very critical part of our overall talent acquisition structure. Certainly our recruiters in terms of generalists. So it's interesting this past year, they do tend to be facing off to a specific function, right? So mm-hmm. they do have kind of a specialist role in terms of the, the functions and types of roles that they typically recruit for. But last year was the first time that we really started to what I call split desk people, pull people across different functions. You know, when when work is in high in one area and not as much in the other, there's no sense overloading one person, right? It's an opportunity for people to learn something different. I believe recruiters can pick up and learn a function, a good recruiter. Yeah. You can study, you can listen, you can ask a lot of questions and be curious. You can figure it out. Good recruiters can. So we've really started to pull people across different functions uh, over this past year, especially as we've picked up kind of new functions and new skill sets that we're that we're learning here. So Okay. Interesting. So everybody's uh at least getting one or two areas of cross training to prepare them both professionally and also to just sort of help pick up the the uh, demand. How do you how do you think about sourcing? Is that a specialty? And do you have people who are just focusing on that, or what? How do you approach that? Yeah, it's a good question. So we we do leverage LinkedIn. So a couple of things we we have a talent insights team. You know, their focus um, largely not just on sourcing, but they support a lot of the special event recruiting we do. They focus on diversity. They partner with our employee resource groups. They are part of our sourcing support. We also have LinkedIn seats that we leverage you know, within our recruiting teams. And uh, I know a lot of companies are starting to think about the internal marketplace as an official source and tasking teams with thinking about internal talent alongside of external talent. Is, is GM doing that at this point or would that not be a fit for your culture? To talk about that. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, we, we shifted to, to Workday uh, last year at GM. And so it's interesting uh, because we now have, I would say, broader visibility to our internal talent, or at least we're getting there, right? We, we just launched it in June in terms of really being able to see talent profiles and, and more data internally on our employees that we ever have before. And so I think one of the pivotal moments we'll, we'll probably have in the next year or so is figuring out how do we want to approach internal hiring differently and, and should we? I think there's sensitivity about that, right? In any company from the business leader standpoint, right? There, there could be some discomfort about 
internal competition for talent. Uh, You've been in those rooms, right? Where you have leaders who say, you know what we should do? We should make sure we're always considering our own people first. And then when it comes to their team, they're like, not my team though. Right. (laughs) Leave my people alone. I don't want to have to go recruit other people. I just want other people's people. So it's um, definitely uh, all politics is local. Before we leave the sourcing topic, any other tools that you're loving these days? Anything that you think is particularly valuable I think, I mean, on LinkedIn continues to be a really good source for us. I I will say, um, you know, I think we're always on the lookout for probably one of the biggest challenges we face is is sourcing tech talent, right? Technical talent hides sometimes. Developers have been known for misspelling their titles in LinkedIn to avoid being found. So our talent insights team has gotten really creative in terms of how can we, and, and I think it's from a diversity perspective as well. A lot of times leveraging referrals and leveraging, I mean, you mentioned it, we're 85,000 plus, right? I think our partnership with our ERG groups, which is our employee resource groups, has been, is really starting to blossom and and how we partner with those teams in terms of our recruiting efforts. We've done a lot of, uh, there's a lot of creativity that can happen there, right? Just organically with, with people who are passionate about bringing other good people into General Motors. So um, I think trying to, pivot some of that is is a creative way that we can source. The other thing, it's not necessarily a tool, but when I go back to thinking about it at my Robert Half days is how do we share talent? It's no surprise that we have a ton of applicants in our ATS, right? Within just six short months. It's it's crazy. And we have a lot of common roles, you know, my peers who manage, you know, manufacturing and engineering recruiting, particularly my peer Shonda Williams, who manages engineering, you know, we have a lot of roles that look a little similar. We both have software roles. And so it's really sourcing within our own database has been something my teams have really started to get creative on. And how can we, uh, you know, I think back to Robert Half, right? The the hot jobs, hot candidates idea, Mm -hmm. right? But honestly, that's something we have started to really try to do because at a big company for a candidate, sometimes you're at the, the, the right place with the wrong time. Maybe you're a great silver medalist on a role, but the candidate doesn't necessarily know because they're not trolling our career site every day that we might have seven other jobs just like it, right? So how are, how do we be really intentional about making sure good candidates that may have not, you know, may have been just a close second for a role, but if they're still great for GM, how do we take that extra step um, to share them across our broader team? It's tough, tough to do when when you're busy, but it's so important. Intentional. What a great word. And that sums it up. Uh, also, the intentionality of not only looking in your own database, but after a, uh, a loop or, you know, the interview process, if a candidate's not good for whatever reason for the role they were interviewed for, having the discussion about where can we recycle this candidate, right? So so that's an intentional thing as well. And sort of a culture thing. Uh, is GM there yet or getting there? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there. And I think you know, some of it is to leveraging leveraging more of a pipeline tool, right? And so I think we've really started to coach um, and advise some of our teams on the front end. You know, when we're going into a search for, you know, 50 plus for externally, well, you're going to have some duplicate roles in there, right? And so why not leverage more of an, uh, an evergreen tool to yeah. pipeline the talent? We can share it across managers and make sure we don't get multiple candidates on multiple roles that tend to get lost in the shuffle, right? And it's also, um, you don't want to saturate your career site. Um, It's one of my pet peeves. I I hate saturation when, as a candidate, you go out on a career site and it's like 17 different developer roles. 
it's mm -hmm. not a good look, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, and as a candidate, you're like, well, I don't know which one to apply to. I guess they won't apply right. to any of them. Right. They'll <laughs> so, apply to any of them or they'll apply yeah. to 10 of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Usually one yeah. or two things. So yeah, um, yeah I think well, we're, we're, we're getting there. Well, that's a good segue to candidate experience. So it's a huge topic. Uh, as you know, a number of teams have been working on their candidate experience, especially if there's been a downturn in their hiring during COVID-19. I'm just curious to know, what's the GM team doing in the candidate experience area? Has your team ever applied for the Candy Award or you know any external benchmarks like that? It's a key part of the conversation internally within our team. Has been in the last year, we've really tried to bring it to the forefront of, of everything we do because truly the candidate experience touches all parts of our process, whether that's being really on top of dispositioning candidates that aren't a fit. No one wants to apply to a job and never hear. Well, that requires a really diligent recruiter, right? Yeah, Staying the black on hole top of that. or technology to help, exactly. you know, things like conversational AI and those types of things. So how do you measure your candidate experience? Do you, yeah, I would imagine you have some kind of surveys. How, how's that handled? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we certainly have, um, you know, new hire surveys and have even done some surveys for, for folks not hired. And I think it's really been in terms of conversational AI is something I think is, is super exciting and something that can really be a game changer in terms of how candidates um, interact with your career site. But let's come, bring it back to you and your career. You've, you've achieved a lot already. Well, what would you say you're most proud of, as especially as a woman executive? And what are you most disappointed about? I'm honestly, mo I mean, day to day, I think especially in, in my current role, I'm just so dang proud of my team. The one thing about being a big company with, with a brand that has great traction is we have some really incredible recruiters who are super proud to be recruiters at GM and they, they take it so seriously. They work so hard. And I think I'm most proud to lead a team that can shift so quickly. You know, I think a lot of times there's this idea that at a big company, we do the same thing every day. I mean, I'm here to tell you we're, we're doing something different all the time, right? So what's been disappointing for you in your, your journey so far? Um, I think probably what's always disappointing to me is, I mean, I think a couple of things. It's a disappointment, but it's also a challenge. It's just the pace at a big company, right? People are typically surprised. At, you, you really have the opportunity to make an impact. As big of a company as it is, if you have the will and the passion, you can make a difference, but man, it's it's a heavy lift, right? At a big company to to make things go faster, to be faster. We 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 don't pivot as quick as a startup, but um, and that can be disappointing from time to time. But it's not for lack of trying, and we we're continuing to try to to move and and to increase our our velocity. I would say. No, I, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I was just wondering what what do you think are the most critical pieces of turning that ship around or making change? What what have you found works the best? Yeah, I think it's all about the why. I think you can dance around a lot of process. You can give up quickly. You got to get to the right person and you have to be able to really articulate the why behind what you're trying to do and what you're trying to change. And then it's really just, you know, always protecting space for innovation, I would say, right? I do have to really try to make sure that I protect headspace for myself and my team for us to think and be innovative because we, we can't create change if we haven't figured out what needs to change, right? 
I, I would agree. And so the why that's, that's a, that's really an interesting answer because then the way that that is born out is through communication, change management, relationships, I'm guessing. So yep. you, you made reference to your 18 months in, so you're no longer new. So what that really means is you have relationships that you didn't have when you first walked in the door and you can call upon those relationships, but you have to continuously build trust as a leader, right? And, and invest in those relationships so that you can indeed leverage them to make the change. If you haven't been in that kind of a large environment before trying to make a difference, it's a little tough to picture, but I appreciate your description of that for my listeners, because what we try to do for, especially for future TA leaders is to try to paint a picture for them of what it's like to stand in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And from the outside or even from a role two or three steps down from you, it probably looks easy or maybe even hard, but sort of opaque. And um, I, I just, I love that description. It's really important to, to understand the why and then roll it out somehow. Um, <laughs> well, so Stephanie, what's next for you when you, when you sort of have a minute to think about where this is all leading for you? What, what's, what do you think is sort of the ideal next step for somebody with your background? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I mean, I love this space. I love I love talent acquisition. It's not a space that I'm certainly ready to leave any anytime soon. You know, I have it. GM also had the opportunity to work in an HR field role. Um, I did that in engineering, and so at some point, working back in the HR field, also a space that I truly love. Right, being on the other side, partnering with the business, you're still a key partner. Uh, of talent acquisitions. And I think it's really important for leaders, at least we see this at GM, to really move between what we call the HR field and then a community of expertise, which is one of which is talent acquisition, right? It's really important for us to walk in each other's shoes uh, and to move back and forth. I can can picture that. I'm so glad to hear you love TA. I think for some HR leaders, it's a bit of a box to be checked. Uh, but I sense you have a, a true passion for it and you've sort of planted your feet for a while to learn and to lead in that particular function. It's my personal passion, but I, like you, have so much respect for my colleagues in HR who handle a whole lot more complexity, diversity, you know, different types of uh, areas of HR. I just happen to like TA the best, (laughs) personally. (laughs) I think it's the fun side of HR. Um, But I'm going to make a prediction here. I'll bet in 10 years, I'm going to see your name with the CHRO next to it somewhere. Does wow. that sound, <laughs> that sounds like a surprise to you? <laughs> it would sound cool. It would, that would, that would be cool. Um, yeah, that would certainly be uh, an, an amazing opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, I, unlike, uh, like you, I, I love it all. So I love HR. I think we're such a, a critical part of a company's success. So that's a challenge I'd certainly be up for. All right. Well, then final question. What advice would you give to 24-year-old Stephanie? Anything you know now that you wish you'd know then? Don't be afraid to take risks, right? Have confidence and stay curious. I've learned a lot about it just through studying leadership and whatnot. And now just reflecting back, maybe I wasn't even intentionally being curious, but curiosity leads to so many good things. So. I would encourage anyone in, in the early part of their careers to really sit back and ask themselves, you know, am I being curious? Am I listening? Am I learning? Am I learning other parts of the business and what other people do? Because uh, curiosity leads to really great things. So I would remind myself of that. 
I love it. That is a great place to end up. Thank you again, Stephanie. This has been a great discussion. Really appreciate all your insights and your time and best of luck to you as you head now into 2021 with hopefully a whole lot of optimism and uh, positivity in the business realm. Hopefully global business starts to really take off now and that that means good things for GM and, and for your career. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. It's been great talking to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.